The Mystical City of God, The Incarnation, Book 3, Chapter 22. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes the birth of the precursor of Christ, Saint John the Baptist, and what the Lady Mary did on this occasion. 270. The hour for the rising of the morning star, which was to precede the clear sun of justice and announce the wished-for day of the law of grace, had arrived, John 5:35. The time was suitable to the Most High for the appearance of his prophet in the world, and greater than a prophet was John, who pointing out with his finger the Lamb, John 1:29, was to prepare mankind for the salvation and the sanctification of the world. Before issuing from the maternal womb the Lord revealed to the blessed child the hour in which he was to commence his mortal career among men. The child had the perfect use of his reason, and of the divine science infused by the presence of the incarnate word. He therefore knew that he was to arrive at the port of a cursed and dangerous land, and to walk upon a world full of evils and snares, where many are overtaken by ruin and perdition. 271 on this account the great child was, as it were, in a state of suspense and doubt for on the one hand, nature having nourished his body to that state of perfection, which is proper to birth, he recognized and felt, in addition to the express will of God, the compelling forces of nature which urged him to leave the retreat of the maternal womb. On the other hand he contemplated the dangerous risks of mortal life. Thus he hesitated between the fear of danger and the desire to obey. And he debated within himself. If I meet this danger of losing God, where shall it lead me? How can I safely converse with men, of whom so many are enveloped in darkness and wander from the path of life? I am in the obscurity of my mother's womb, but I must leave it for a more dangerous darkness. I was imprisoned a year, since I received the light of reason but more must I dread the unrestrained freedom of mortals. But let me O Lord, fulfill your will and enter the world, for to execute it is always best. To know that my life and my faculties shall be consumed in your service highest King, will make it easier for me to come forth to the light and begin life. Bestow O Lord your blessing for my passage into the world. 272 by this prayer the precursor of Christ merited new graces and blessings at his birth. The fortunate child knew by the indwelling of God in his mind, that he was sent to perform great things and was assured of the necessary help. Before describing this most happy birth, I will try to explain the scriptural dates concerning it. It must be remembered, that the miraculous pregnancy of Saint Elizabeth lasted nine days less than nine months. For on account of the fertility miraculously restored to a barren woman, the fruit conceived matured for his birth in this shorter time. When the angel Gabriel announced to Most Holy Mary, that her cousin was in the sixth month of her pregnancy, it must be understood to mean, that eight or nine days were still wanting for the completion of the sixth month. I have also said in chapter 16 that the heavenly lady departed on the fourth day after the incarnation of the word for her visit to Saint Elizabeth. Saint Luke does not say, that most holy Mary departed immediately, but, in those days, and though she went, in haste, yet she consumed four days on her journey, as said in chapter 16 paragraph 207. 273. I likewise remind the reader, 
that when the evangelist says, that Holy Mary remained about three months in the house of St. Elizabeth, there were only two or three days missing, for in all respects the evangelist was exact in his words. Accordingly Most Holy Mary, Our Lady, was present not only at the confinement of St. Elizabeth and at the birth of John, but also at the naming and circumcision of St. John, as I will now show. Counting eight days after the incarnation of the Word, Our Lady arrived at the house of Elizabeth on the evening of the 2nd of April, if we reckon according to our solar months, adding thereto three months less two days, we have the 1st of July, the 8th day of the birth of St. John and early next day Most Holy Mary departed on her return to Nazareth. St. Luke mentions the return of our Queen before he speaks of the birth of St. John, although this happened before she returned. The sacred text anticipates the mention of the journey, in order to have done with it, and not to interrupt the thread of the narrative of the precursor's birth. This is what I was told to write down in explanation of the text. 274. Her time approaching, St. Elizabeth felt the child in motion as if he wanted to place himself on his feet, but he was merely following the ordinary course of nature and the dictates of obedience. Some moderate pains overtook the mother and she informed the Princess Mary. But she did not call her to be present at the birth, because reverence for the dignity of Mary and for the fruit within her womb, prudently withheld her from asking what might not seem befitting. Nor was the great mistress in the same room, but she sent her the coverings and swaddling clothes, which she had made for the fortunate child. Presently thereafter he was born, very perfect and complete in shape, and by the freedom from impure matter showed signs of the purity of his soul. He was wrapped in the covering sent by Mary, which therefore had already been great and venerable relics. Shortly after, when St. Elizabeth had composed herself, Most Holy Mary, at the command of the Lord, issued from her oratory in order to pay her visit to the mother and child and give them her blessing. 275. At the request of his mother the queen received in her arms the newborn child and offered him as a new oblation to the Eternal Father and His Majesty, well pleased, accepted it as the first fruits of the Incarnation and of the Divine Decrees. The Most Blessed Child, full of the Holy Ghost, acknowledged His Sovereign Queen, showing her not only interior, but outward reverence by a secret inclination of His head, and again He adored the Divine Word, which was manifested to Him in her womb by a special light. And as He also was aware that He was privileged before all men, the grateful child performed acts of fervent thanksgiving, humility, love and reverence of God and of his virgin mother. The heavenly queen, in offering him to the eternal father, pronounced this prayer for him. Highest Lord and Father, all holy and powerful, accept in your honor this offering and seasonable fruit of your most holy Son and my Lord. He is sanctified by the only begotten and rescued from the effects of sin and from the power of your ancient enemies. Receive this morning's sacrifice, and infuse into this child the blessings of your Holy Spirit, in order that he may be a faithful minister to you and to your only begotten. This prayer of our Queen was efficacious in all respects, and she perceived how the Lord enriched this child, chosen as his precursor and she also felt within herself the effects of these admirable blessings. 
276. While the Queen of the Universe held the infant in her arms, she was for a short time secretly wrapped in sweetest ecstasy, during it she offered up this prayer for the child, holding it close to the same breast where the only begotten of the Eternal and her own was soon to rest. This was the singular prerogative of the Great Precursor, granted to none among the saints. Therefore it is not surprising, that the angel called him great in the eyes of the Lord, for before he was born, the Lord visited and sanctified him, and being born, he was placed on the throne of grace, he was embraced by the arms which were to enfold the incarnate word God, and thereby excited in the sweetest mother of God the entrancing desire of holding within them the Son of the Most High, filling her with delightful affections for his precursor, the newborn child. Saint Elizabeth being divinely informed of these sacraments, beheld her wonderful child in the arms of her, who was his mother in a more exalted sense than she herself, she being his mother only, as to his natural being, while Most Holy Mary held that position as to his existence in the order of grace. All this caused a most sweet tie of affection between the most blessed women and in the child, who likewise was enlightened in regard to these mysteries. By the motions of his tender body he manifested the joy of his spirit, clinging to the heavenly lady and seeking to attract her caresses and to remain with her. The sweetest lady fondled him, but with such majestic moderation, that she did not kiss him, as his age would have permitted, for she preserved her most chaste lips intact for her most holy son. Nor did she look intently into his face, directing all her intention to the holiness of his soul. So great was the prudence and modesty of the great Queen of Heaven in the use of her eyes, that she would scarcely have known him by sight. 277. When the birth of John become known, all the relations and acquaintances, as St. Luke says, gathered to congratulate St. Zachariah and Elizabeth, for his house was rich, noble and honored in the whole province and their piety attracted the hearts of all that knew them. Having known them so many years without children and being aware of the sterility and advanced age of Elizabeth, all were stirred to amazement and joyful wonder, and they looked upon the birth of the child rather as a miracle than as a natural event. The holy priest Zachariah remained mute and unable to manifest his joy by word of mouth, for the hour of his miraculous cure had not arrived. But freed of his incredulity, he showed his joy in other ways and he was full of affectionate gratitude and praise for the rare blessing, which he had now witnessed with his own eyes. His behavior we shall describe in the next chapter. The Instruction Which the Queen of Heaven Gave Me 278 My dearest daughter, do not be surprised that my servant John feared and hesitated to come into the world. Life can never be loved by the ignorant devotee of the world in the same degree as the wise in divine science, who abhor and fear its dangers. This science was eminently possessed by the precursor of my most holy son, hence knowing of the loss which threatened he feared the risk. But since he that knows and dreads the treacherous seas of this world, sails so much the more securely over their unfathomed depths, it served him in good stead for entering securely into the world. The fortunate child began his career with such disgust and abhorrence of all earthly things, that his horror never abated. 
He made no peace with the flesh, Mark 6.17, nor partook of its poison, nor allowed vanity to enter his senses nor obstruct his eyes, in abhorrence of the world and of worldly things, he gave his life for justice. The citizen of the true Jerusalem cannot be in peace or in alliance with Babylon, nor is it possible to enjoy at the same time the grace of the Most High and the friendship of his declared enemies, for no one can serve two hostile masters, nor can light and darkness, Christ and Belial, harmonize, Matthew 4 4. 279. Guard yourself, my dearest, against those living in darkness and the lovers of the world more than against fire, for the wisdom of the sons of this world is carnal and diabolical, and their ways lead to death. In order to walk the way of truth, even at the cost of the natural life, it is necessary to preserve the peace of the soul. I point out three dwelling places for you to live in, from which you must never intentionally come forth. If at any time the Lord should bid you to relieve the necessities of your fellow creatures, I desire that you do not lose this refuge. Act as one who lives in a castle surrounded by enemies, and who perchance must go to the gate to transact necessary business. He acts with such wariness, that he will pay more attention to safeguard his retreat and shield himself than to transact business with others, being always on the watch and on guard against danger. So must you live, if you wish to live securely, for doubt not, that enemies more cruel and poisonous than asps and basilisks surround you. 280. Your habitations shall be the divinity of the Most High, the humanity of my Most Holy Son, and your own interior. In the divinity you must live like the pearl in its shell, or like the fish in the sea, allowing your desires and affections to roam in its infinite spaces. The most holy humanity shall be the wall which defends you, and his bosom shall be the place of your rest, and under his wings shall you find refreshment. Psalm 16:8. Your own interior shall afford you peaceful delight through the testimony of a good conscience, Corinthians 2.12, and it will, if you keep it pure, familiarize you with the sweet and friendly intercourse of your spouse. In order that you may be aided therein by retirement of the body, I desire that you remain secluded in your choir or in your cell, leaving it only, when obedience or charity make it inevitable. I will tell you a secret. There are demons, whom Lucifer has expressly ordered to watch for the religious, who come forth from their retirement, in order to beset them and engage them in battle and cause their fall. The demons do not easily go into the cells, because there they do not find the occasions afforded by conversations and the use of the senses which is how they ordinarily capture and devour their prey like ravenous wolves. They are tormented by the retirement and recollection of religious, knowing that they are foiled in their attempts, as long as they cannot entice them into human discourse. 281. It is also certain that ordinarily the demons have no power over souls, unless they gain entrance by some venial or mortal fault. 
Mortal sin gives them a sort of direct right over those who commit it, while venial sin weakens the strength of the soul and invites their attacks. Imperfections diminish the merit and the progress of virtue, and encourages the enemy. Whenever the astute serpent notices that the soul bears with its own levity and forgets about its danger, it blinds it and seeks to instill its deadly poison. The enemy then entices the soul like a little heedless bird, until it falls into one of the many snares from which there seems to be no escape. 282. Admire then my daughter, what you have learned by divine enlightenment, and weep in deepest sorrow over the ruin of so many souls absorbed in such dangerous tepidity. They live in the obscurity of their passions and depraved inclinations, forgetful of the danger, unmoved by their losses, and heedless of their dealings. Instead of fearing and avoiding the occasions of evil, they encounter and seek for them in blind ignorance. In senseless fury they follow their pleasures, place no restraint on their passionate desires, and care not where they walk, even if to the most dangerous precipices. They are surrounded by innumerable enemies, who pursue them with diabolical treachery, unceasing vigilance, unquenchable wrath and restless diligence. What wonder then, that from such extremes, or rather from such unequal combat, irreparable defeats should arise among the mortals. And that since the number of fools is infinite, the number of the reprobate should also be uncountable, and that the demon should be inflated by his triumphs in the perdition of so many men. May the eternal God preserve you from such a misfortune, and do weep and deplore that of your brethren, continually asking for their salvation as far as is possible.